We are Christopher and Kathy Riley, and you're watching the TV Writer Podcast. I want to tell you a little bit about our main sponsor for the episode. Script Anatomy is a screenwriting school that gets incredible results. In just four years, their students have won 58 fellowships, half of them at major studios. In 2020 alone, Script Anatomy won four out of 11 fellowships at CBS and three out of eight at Warner Brothers. Why? Because the instructors are all working writers with current credits. They teach a consistent tool-based program and they treat students like emerging professionals. To get your writing career started, go to scriptanatomy.com. My name is Gray Jones, and you're watching the TV Writer Podcast, partner of Script Magazine, episode 130 for March 2022. And there's a very, very special thing that's happening today, and that is that today is the release date of The Defining Moment. And today I have with me Christopher and Kathy Riley, who wrote that book. Uh, welcome, Chris and Kathy. Thanks, Gray. It's so good to be here with you and to be able to mark the day of the book's release with you. Yeah, what a, what a privilege to be able to speak with you uh, on the day the book is released. So thank you for having us. Yeah, and, and I'm just going to say, I'll probably plug it a few times. Um, there's going to be a link in the show notes. Make sure you buy this book, maybe even as you watch the podcast. Um, viewers may also actually be familiar I, with the Hollywood Standard. Um, Christopher, you wrote this earlier, and it's a technical manual, uh, manual on script format and style which we need for any script that we're writing and also for scripts that we're reading to know what the style should be. So I definitely highly recommend that one. We're not going to talk about that today just because uh, it's been out for a few years and people should have it on their shelf already. But this is the, the new book that people want to hear about to know whether it's something that will benefit them. And I believe it will. Um, before we get into the details of the book, why don't you tell the, me the story of how it came about? Kathy, you want to talk about sort of how the book came, came to be? Yeah, we, um, we had a mentor uh, early in our writing career who talked to us um, about this idea that characters have a handful of moments that define, you know, who they are. Um, and we started to apply that, that thinking to our work. Um, and as a result of that, uh, we began to uh, look at defining moments not only in our characters, but sort of point the finger, you know, back at ourselves and say, to understand those moments in our characters, we have to understand them in ourselves. And so through um, examining that, through learning through that process, we really, uh, in particular, um, I wanted to teach other writers about that. So we began to teach young screenwriters um, through a class that we called The Defining Moment. And out of that class, um, uh, you know, then Chris, you should, well, because you, you, you took it a step further and uh, you began to, to teach it as well. And, and then early in the pandemic, uh, the publisher of my earlier book approached me and said, hey, if you were to record a video as a gift to the writing community, what would you talk about? And I thought, well, I think we're in the middle of a defining moment for the whole world, so I'll t talk about that and I'll talk about how that relates to character development. And I, I did that and then the publisher said, well, could that be a book? And like any good writer, 
before thinking, I said, of course it could be a book. <laughs> and Kathy said, and, uh, and it's my idea. <laughs> and, you, and you better make me a part of this. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Well, I, I have to say, um, I, I'm a reader, always have been. I'm the, I'm the kind of person who, when I set out to do something, I'll read five or six books first, and then I'll get to it. And so I had read probably a dozen books on writing before I read Blake Snyder's book, Save the Cat. And, and when I read that book, it was like a light bulb just went off in my head, like, oh, I finally get it. I finally get the shape of Act Two. I mean, I, I love uh, the, the other books out there um, that, that we all have read, but a lot of them, it, it, Act Two becomes this nebulous thing, and it's very scary and hard to navigate. With Blake Snyder, it was so easy to think, oh, fun and games, midpoint, bad guys close in, and it was just, you, you understood the shape of how, um, how a, a story unfolds. And, and then ever since then, when I watch a movie, I, I'm watching for these things like, oh, th there's this turning point and that turning point, and I see how this is happening, and it helps me understand so much better. I really felt like the defining moment was that kind of game changer for me. Um, I was probably like most of the people who, who watch this podcast Film school, we were taught just to, to write lists and lists and lists of all the, um, you know, where the character went to school and all the different jobs they had and who's in their family and, and all these things. And I could write pages and pages and it, and it maybe would inform a little bit about their choices, but nothing like the defining moment. It, with a defining moment, it's like if I understand stand one critical moment in that character's life, it means more than pages and pages of the of the mundane meaningless stuff um why don't why don't you talk about like maybe define for the viewers what these defining moments are and why they are so significant the the idea is really a simple one that we you know it's like immediately grasped as soon as you kind of look at it uh and it's that not every moment in our lives is equal. Mm -hmm. There are some moments, you know, there's the moment the house burned down and that moment shapes your life more than the moment when the house didn't burn down. And, uh, or when you, there's the moment when a dream is born of what you are going to pursue for the rest of your life. It matters more to me as a writer to understand those moments, the moment the house burned down, the moment that you decided you were going to be a Marine, then the regular days, the regular moments. And so that helps us focus down instead of having all of those lists and pages of notes of detail, we can find that handful of moments without which I don't really understand that character at all. I don't understand how you got to be who you are or how I got to be who I am. So it's a way of, of focusing on what really matters in, in the sculpting of who a character has become for this moment. And I think for me, it was an exploration of why do I care? And I think when you're given a hundred minor details, it, it, it is hard for us to feel and to latch on to all of these details. But if we can locate a moment 
that has defined a character and that may be a moment of before and after. It may be a moment of, of grief, um, a moment of, of healing, um, a moment when a, a, a dream is born. But it's, it's something that shifts the character in, an, in a new direct, direction or awakens a dream. And I think the result of locating those moments, that's what makes us care and root for our character. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, root for a controversial character like a Michael Corleone. But that's, I think that's the genius of finding those, those moments for even um, a, a character like him. Well, you, um, you touched on the before and after, and I think that's a, a key point when you're trying to find the defining moments in, in a character or even in your own past. Um, maybe, why don't you use Michael Corleone as, as an example of a, of a before and after moment for him and how that became a defining moment. One of, well, really the centerpiece of the first Godfather movie is uh, the scene in the restaurant when Michael, Michael Corleone, up until that moment, has been a war hero. He has been the member of the family who has been the law abider and might go on to be a senator might even go on to be a U.S. president. And, but his father has been gunned down by a rival mob and Michael decides to take a gun in his own hand and kill the two men that he holds responsible for this. So this results in um, a complete change of his life. His life is one way before that moment uh, after that moment, he's a fugitive, has to flee to Italy. Mm -hmm. uh, he becomes, uh, out of that, the head of the crime family. That moment leads directly to the end of that film where he becomes the godfather. Mm -hmm. And that final shot where his wife realizes that he has become the godfather and the office door closes separating them can only be understood in the light of that defining moment in the restaurant when he became a killer. So if we think about his life, his life is one way before that moment and a completely different way after that moment. And um, so I like to, to think of before and after as being the test that we can apply to any defining moment to decide if it's a defining moment. And I think that you're gonna disagree with me on that. <laughs> uh, well, well, I think it's different degrees of before and after. So the Michael Corleone example is, um, I think of that as uh, the exclamation point. You know, wow, we, you know, we really can, can, can see this. It's, it's, it's in bold. Um, but I think there are other moments we can consider defining moments that, that have a moment of before and after, but maybe we don't see the contrast quite as much, but there is a shift. Um, I think, for example, um, I'll share a, a, just a, a quick, you know, personal one, is that as a little girl, um, I had a father who was uh, quiet, a, a real a deep thinker, didn't express emotion. And I remember attending a family wedding and my uncle, who was this, you know, handsome, rugged football player, 
uh, was between me and I was a girl of about nine at the time and my and his his wife who was my aunt and before the, the bride came down the aisle he he looked over at me and he looked at my aunt and he said I'm sitting between the two most beautiful women in the world and you know and that's very charming and a lovely little story that I tell but for me it set me on a course to say you know I want a partner um, who is able to express himself that way and that awakened this dream in me of of something that I wanted for my future and and so was there a moment of before and after yes um, but it, it wasn't, uh, it didn't stand in, in stark, you know, a, a contrast, but a, a dream was, was awakened and it was a, uh, you could say a, a smaller defining moment, but a moment that certainly defined the course of, of, of my life and expectations, uh, for where I wanted it to go. Hmm. Well, the, the thing that I, I actually, two things that come from these defining moments that, um, that really stand out to me. One is uh, if you're communicating a part to an actor or to a director, what you just shared right there tells me more about your story than 20 other weddings you went to, all the other events you attended, all of those things, just one moment like that. And you understand a lot about the intention of, of you or the, or the, or a character. character. Um, but also, I think in, in many of the, even in the stories you just told now, um, and one of the things that I've, I found was uh, most helpful and also surprising about these moments was that they, um, they almost in their nature suggest a transformational arc. They, mm. They, mm. they suggest a journey that's about to happen. Even in, in your small moment, it started a journey toward finding that husband. It, it, and, and it informed what that journey was going to mean to you. Um, tell me a little bit about that, about how moments, and I think uh, one example you used early in your book was, was in Finding Nemo. Um, it, his character and everything he did after was defined by that moment. And also that became the arc of the movie. Talk about that. Yeah, I mean, I think that we, it, first of all, I'll just say for a children's movie, um, you know, to, 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 to start in such a tragic event um, is huge. Um, but we, um, you know, we meet, we don't meet Nemo right away. We meet his dad, Marlon, and, and Coral and their dreams. And um, they have all these, we see all these eggs, you know, this huge family that they're going to have. And I think it's a barracuda fish that comes and all of a sudden there's danger and there's a, they need to hide and coral doesn't want to leave her eggs and marlon wants her to um you know because he feels like the eggs are back far enough they'll be protected um and of course we know the story where the barracuda knocks marlon out the screen goes black he wakes up coral's gone um most of the eggs are gone um except this one egg um, and we see, I think we even see the, the eye glimmering inside the egg. And of course that's, that's Nemo. And, um, you know, when the egg hatches, the dad, um, says, I'm never going to let anything happen to you. 
And so that, that helps us understand his trajectory, his course, his hypervigilance. Um, if we hadn't seen that moment, we wouldn't understand his journey. He would just be this sort of quirky, overprotective character. But that helps us see his, his journey. And then, Chris, well, talk about then the moment, how that sets us up for this moment of, of transformation. Because this, I think, is a moment of, 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 of grief and just profound trauma, but it, it sets us up. Right, so, so there's the loss, but there's also the damage that's done to Marlon. And we often think about damaged characters mm -hmm. who have to grow and change over the course of a story. The defining moment answers the question of how did they get to be that way? Mm. We don't always see it on screen. Certainly we don't always open with, with that moment. Uh, but in Marlon's case, that creates his need for transformation, which then gets to play out and get dramatized in real time as first he's constraining Nemo and saying, don't go out in the open ocean and then after Nemo is taken we have the bigger outer journey that it's harder for Marlin because he's not a, an adventurer um, he's not a warrior he's a protector but because of that um, the stakes the emotional stakes feel even higher than mm -hmm. for any other parent trying to save their child and um, he has to overcome all of these inner obstacles, all of that inner brokenness uh, in order to achieve the rescue mm -hmm. of Nemo. And then the payoff mm. emotionally feels so much bigger, so much more satisfying because we know where he came from. Mm -hmm. And I think the way story works is it isn't just that we intellectually have the information we were there, we witnessed mm -hmm. the, the trauma. And so we actually, we have emotional knowledge, which, which then pays off. In television, I think this becomes really important because we're going to be with these characters mm -hmm. for multiple episodes, anywhere from eight episodes to 100 or 200 episodes. Mm -hmm. And we may have the opportunity along the way to uh, first, maybe meet a character who's broken, who's really complicated, and that's interesting to us, it turns out. And then at some point, we, we get the story of, like, what happened to you? Yeah. And we may, it may change our whole orientation toward a character who we viewed as a monster. When mm. we get the backstory of the Cylons in mm. Battlestar Galactica, we, we're actually able to, to flip who is the protagonist for a season of, of that series. Uh, and no, we never feel the same way about Cylons again after that. Uh, in Breaking Bad, we get to find out Walter White's defining moment when he went from a Nobel Prize caliber chemist to a high school teacher who's just uh, sleepwalking mm -hmm. through his life. And it helps us understand the allure of being this king of mm -hmm. the Nevada or New Mexico meth world because he once had that kind of kingship and he lost it. And um, so it creates both the need for the transformation but also 
an emotional resonance mm. uh, for the characters. Well, I think that's it. That's a really significant part. Um, like, like, let's just say I gave you the, the script of Finding Nemo, but I didn't give you the first 10 pages. Marlin's behavior would just seem odd and quirky and not realistic. Uh, and, and I think often we approach characters, maybe somebody reads our script and, and says the characters are flat, and so we, we try to make them more of a jerk or more of this or more of that, but it doesn't come from an authentic, resonant place. But the thing I love about um, the defining moment is, is, especially when you see it, especially when you see it with, with Marlon, um, you just get everything that happens after that. Every crazy thing he says to Nemo, every, every crazy thing he does, um, it, you believe it because you know what he went through. You, you, you've seen that moment. But I think it's also significant that sometimes we don't see that moment in, in the course of the story. Maybe like in Breaking Bad, it happened before the story uh, started, but it informs the things that unfold. Um, and I, one of the things I love the most about cable shows is they take the time to breathe. They, they take, take the time to sort of um, simmer and, and slowly get you into the story and slowly move you through the story. And I, and I find, especially in cable shows, that happens a lot where you're sort of seeing the aftermath of defining moments and you're gradually learning about them. Now, talk about that. As you ask that question, I, I think of uh, our friend, uh, writer-director Scott Teams, uh, who talks about the moments between the moments. Mm -hmm. And um, not every moment is a defining moment. Uh, there are moments where characters experience the aftermath of a moment that has defined them, or are making sense of um, you know, if the house burned down, uh, there's the moment of realizing when you turn for the photo album, oh, we lost that too. Mm -hmm. And in losses we've experienced in our own lives, we have those repeated moments of reaching for something and realizing it's not there and discovering, oh, we lost that too. And those are, those are moments that a writer wants to dramatize and, and put on the screen. Yeah, I think of the movie Finding uh, Neverland. Um, and, you know, that, that's, that's um, not, not television, but there is a moment like that, I think, that we're allowed to, to breathe and understand what motivates um, the J.M. Barry character and um, he is, there's a moment where he is um, describing um, why he, it's, it's a quiet moment, you know, in the living room, and he's describing why he created Neverland. Um, and he tells the story of being a little boy and his brother, um, and I think the brother's name was David, and something happens to David and he's sick um, and he dies. And he talks about how his mother, um, you know, was very removed from him, couldn't look at him, wouldn't engage with him. And so one day he decides to go and put on an outfit from his dead brother. 
and she thought that may, he thought that maybe if she saw him in those clothes, that would make her happy again. Um, and of course, in that moment, it did not. And, and I think the the line that sheds so much light on that journey and gives us that moment where we just take a deep breath and we have understanding is he says, and that in that moment, you know, that was the end of the boy James. Mm. I used to say that he had gone to Neverland. Um, and so then suddenly, and, and that's not early on in the movie, you know, that's, we're pretty far into the movie at that point. But that sort of, then you take a breath and it's one of those moments between the moments, I feel like, that defines who, who he is. And I think what happens in that moment, um, well, first of all, it's not a moment that's dramatized. We don't see it played right. out. we hear about a it. A character just says it in yeah. dialogue. That's yeah. not expositional dialogue. Uh, exposition is about giving you information. This is about showing you character, showing right. you pain. And that's dramatic, even though the medium is is dialogue and yeah. i think great dialogue does that but you know we within culture we talk about peter pan syndrome uh, young men who don't want to grow up and take on adulthood and we we think of that mm -hmm. uh derisively negatively as soon as i heard jm barry tell that story of where Peter Pan came from right. and how he had lost his own childhood as, as the author and was trying to kind of reclaim what was lost in that defining moment completely changed the way I think about J.M. Barry, about Peter Pan, about <laughs> Neverland, because it's not about shirking responsibility, it's about grief and innocence and trying to somehow rediscover the innocence of childhood. All of that out of uh, a defining moment that was relayed in, you know, a passage of dialogue that was yeah, that long on the page. Mm. We're going to take a brief sponsor break and then we're going to come back to talk a lot more about defining moments. AVGearGuy.com uses state-of-the-art technology to bring new life to old films and videos, like the Lost Betty White series Pet Set, which they recently restored for its 50th anniversary. They can apply the same technology to your documentary, film and video archive, and family videos. Visit AVGearGuy.com for details. DrivingFootage.com provides 360-degree driving plates for film and TV. Over 14,000 clips are available for locations all around Southern California, with more areas coming soon. A fully equipped camera car with height-adjustable rig is available for custom shoots. Visit drivingfootage.com for details. Full disclosure, I do own both of these companies. By supporting them, you help me bring new in-person video interviews to you. And we're back. Um, well, one of the things that I, I wanted to mention is that um, knowing our own defining moments can can be, be a very practical exercise uh, to help us then to translate defining moments into our characters. Why don't you talk a little bit about that, about how you might go through your own past. You mentioned one of them. Um, uh, what are some other ways that you can go into your past to dig out your own defining moments? Yeah, Kathy, you were really the one who had, <laughs> had that insight. You know, and... Um you know, and I think that is each individual writer, actor, director's journey. You know, that's an exploration that you have to take on for yourself. I, you know, I would encourage everyone 
to, I think some of those moments live very close to the surface. We're just not given an opportunity to figure out what those moments are. Um, I think a simple exercise is set a timer for five minutes and, and, and think about, you know, when was a time that I experienced a grievous wound in my life? Uh, when was a time I experienced healing? When was a time a dream, you know, was awakened? Even to start with, you know, three, um, and those aren't simple uh, questions, but to start with three moments like that and set a timer and, and start, start writing. Um, and, and I think that often we find there are things right there beneath the surface that haven't been unlocked that can help us kind of ex explore um, those moments. Some moments are, are too painful. And so we may not want to write about those, you know, set those aside. You know, that may not be the defining moment um, to look at. But asking yourself, you know, some of, of those uh, questions. Is there something you can look back to in your past where you can clearly say, oh, now I see that was a moment of before. And, and, and there's now a moment of after. Somehow I am a changed person hmm. because of that moment, um, you know, in my life. And how am I changed? How have I healed? Or what dream was awakened? Or um, what was lost as a result of that? So I think those are some ways that we can um, sort of take that lens where we're looking outward at characters and at movies and, and turn back to ourselves. And uh, how can we ever hope to create characters with this kind of depth and complexity and to, to craft their defining moments if we have not done that kind of work mm -hmm. looking at ourselves? I, I always think that we are our best raw material for storytelling and for character creation. And that requires that we ask hard, scary questions about ourselves. When I'm crafting a character, I think, well, what are that character's contradictions? That's comfortable. But when I say, what are my contradictions? That's much less comfortable. And that requires uh, some honesty and courage and humility to, to look at that. I sit here in this seat today as a result of a moment long, long ago when I watched the movie Ordinary People. And I was a, I was a kid who felt isolated and I wasn't sure how you connected at all with people socially, certainly not in any kind of deep, real connection that uh, I didn't even know that how much I craved that. And then I watched this beautifully made film and I saw oh other people hmm. struggle too they all look like they have it together and uh, I was young and naive enough to believe that that surface was the truth and that movie showed me no no real people are struggling they're in pain um, and the movie as great movies great television do they show you the character secrets and so I saw, 
these characters are like me. I'm not alone. So that was one thing that changed the way I treated people. Because if people can be in that much pain, I have to treat them differently. But it also made me want to do that as a storyteller myself. And so I can't understand why I'm sitting here talking about mm -hmm. characters and writing for television without knowing that that moment is there still informing and shaping the course of my life ever since that. Mm. You know, it's funny, I've interviewed several directors and I find directors especially are very in tune with this kind of thing. Um, they spend a lot of time um, going through their own personal past and, and unpacking their own life experience because it, it's what informs working with the characters on, on screen. Um, it, it occurs to me that um, a lot of this would be very helpful also in terms of biopics and other f factual type material, um, especially going through the homework in your own life to then look at real people and how would you find the divining moments for them. Uh, can, can you talk about that a little bit? We, um, years ago, adapted uh, the book Actual Innocence um, for television. Mm -hmm. And w that it was a story based on actual uh, people uh, and the birth of the um, Innocence Project, mm -hmm. um, the founding by uh, attorneys Barry Sheck and Peter Neufeld. So we were working with real people, uh, both the attorneys as well as the uh, the men who'd been uh, c convicted, it turned out wrongly convicted, and you start looking through their lives. Uh, I remember very distinctly we had a box uh, with 3,000 pages of trial transcript, mm -hmm. and the storyteller's task is to, to sift through all of the facts and to find what matters, what makes a difference. And really what you're looking for are the, those pivot points, those moments where things changed, mm -hmm. defining moments. Mm -hmm. And so this lens helps you say, oh, that's, yeah, that's a moment of before and after. Um, that one, not so much, nothing changed there, so maybe I set that aside. So it helps you find the story within the larger um, just sequence of events uh, that make up any person's life. And I think in that case in particular, one of the men who had been wrongly accused and, and you know, eventually went to prison um, had a, a, a daughter. And, and I think, you know, looking through all of the, the, the facts and the details that we were presented with, I think understanding his, um, the separation from his daughter was one of those moments. Mm -hmm. and, and that was sort of that finding Nemo moment where there was a grievous wound that occurred, a separation and a life sentence where he would never see her again, which kind of set us up then for, you know, that transformation. How, you know, how was he going to grow and change during that separation and would he be healed? Would there be a restoration? Would he be freed? Mm -hmm. um, and again, I come back to, I think, the real heart of defining moments and 
they help us care. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's what the audience, um, and that's what we as writers, directors, actors, what the audience is, is longing for, um, is to, to be invested and to care. Well, let, let's uh, unpack a little bit how uh, these defining moments are used in terms of arcs of a, of a television series. Um, some of the ones I can think of, say for instance, um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, I think it was towards the end of, act, uh, of season five where she actually dies and then comes back to life. The, the entire ensuing season is her unpacking that moment. Um, often we see in, in television series, especially episodic television, where the end of a, at the end of a season is a, is a huge moment that's a turning point that turns everything in a, in a whole new direction. And, and those, I guess by definition, would be uh, defining moments. Maybe talk about that a little bit. I, I think they are, uh, because they are moments that do create a before and after, and you go, oh, yeah, that was season three, and because I know <laughs> that this stuff wouldn't be happening in season four, because season three ended with this defining moment. One of the features of defining moments is that there's a limited number of them. So that's great. That's helpful. We can understand a character in this handful of defining moments. But let's say that you're you're doing a series with um, let's do something realistic nowadays. So five seasons, um, ten episodes. You're not going to have a defining moment for a character in every episode because you wouldn't have 50 defining moments. Mm. And so, yes, you need to then, you may build up to mm. a defining moment and then deal with the aftermath of that defining moment in the same way that the midpoint in Blake Snyder's uh, conception of structure gives you a first half of act two that's all about fun and games and a second half of act two that's about bad guys close in defining moments allow you to explore different territory and have different kinds of stories, different flavors of emotion, because things have changed. But, but yeah, you're, you're not doing that every act of an episode, every episode. You're doing it once in a while. Sometimes they are moments that happen live in front of us. Sometimes it's the, the unearthing of something that happened way in the past. And I think it and I think those moments can shift also between characters. Sometimes it is your leading character or supporting character. I think it's it's the trajectory of where the series is going and what supports that and and what ultimately are you building towards. But it can be the the, the primary, you know, protagonist, it can be the antagonist, it can be some supporting characters. But those can be those moments can be um, built in and help you frame the direction within which you're going. Mm, I, I love your Lieutenant Dan example from Forrest Gump. Um, how Lieutenant Dan is he's a uh, it's a subplot within the movie, a much shorter part of the movie, but he clearly has a defining moment trajectory. Um, can you talk about that example? So, you know, L Lieutenant Dan would say he's defined by the defining moments from 
his ancestors. They all died heroically in battle. And so it's not even his own moment that he thinks defines him. And then there is a, the moment where he thinks, this is it, I'm going to die heroically in battle in the jungle. And that damn Forrest Gump then rescues him and, and denies him that moment. So it becomes then the moment it defines him because it's the moment he was cheated of his destiny. And so he lives instead in the wake of that moment as a paraplegic or a quadriplegic in a wheelchair, um, bitter because of what Forrest has denied him. So that's now a new defining moment. He had the defining moment from his ancestors, the defining moment in battle when he didn't die. But then I think that sets us up for his transformation as well. And so he has then, you know, is this guy going to live in, in bitterness and eventually die in all of his brokenness? But it it's that moment sort of sets us up for that transformative defining moment where, um, I guess you could call it a moment of, of healing, but I think as I look at it, I think of it as a new dream is awakened. And it's where he goes on the boat with Forrest and they're shrimping and there's that massive storm and he's cackling wildly on the mast and the lightning and the, and the storm is raging and, and he's having it out with God. Um, and he challenges God to kill him. Um, and he survives. And there's something about, you know, rising in, in a sense from the aftermath of that storm that then allows him to be healed. I think, I think in those moments, a new dream is awakened for him. Um, and it then, um, it allows him to eventually, you know, we see him towards the end of the movie and, and his life has been um, restored, but that's that's a, a a really wonderful example of not the the primary character, but a character who's important to the overall arc of the movie, um, who has, I think, at least three defining moments. Yeah, and uh, so this for me is really helpful when I think about character arcs, yeah. um, because character arcs don't always they often don't happen in these gently curving, you know, we think of an arc as like a, that's a smooth shape, but they happen very often, especially in stories that are interesting, in these cataclysmic moments of, I'm on the mast of a shrimping boat named Jenny in a hurricane, <laughs> having it out with God. That's a dramatic moment. Um, the, the moment where he's saved from death in the jungle by Forrest. Those are all dramatic moments, cataclysmic moments. So sometimes it's not that um, I change direction by one degree and then mm -hmm. another degree tomorrow. It's, it's a complete reversal, which of course is a storytelling term. And we, in a, in a jagged moment, change direction. It is defining moments that can account for that kind of dramatic change. It's not like, I think I'll be a little nicer today, um, but it's that moment where you realize like, oh my gosh, I'm a monster. 
and what what am I going to do? And there, it becomes a, a real hinge in in your trajectory. Yeah, I think he had come to the end of himself and to the end of his his rage. Yeah, yeah, he's a different guy before that hurricane and after. And after, yeah. Well, and, and I and I think about um, both the the huge, huge, dramatic moments and the small moments, like the dream awakening. Um, you see a lot more screen time invested into those. Um, I know in your Michael Corleone example, there's the it's is I can't remember the moment if he, if it was slow motion or at least it it was focusing on him coming out of that restroom. He goes through multiple sets of doors. There's a yeah. huge lead up to it, so um, the director understood mm. like this is a moment where this character is being transformed and he takes a lot of time with it um, leading up to it it happening the aftermath it's it's a huge chunk of of the godfather film and it gets treated that way it's understood by the actor by the director by the editor by the composer everyone is contributing to um, underscoring like this is a big dramatic moment that we have to take note of mm. and I think that the dream awakening type moments are also given a lot of um, investing as well uh, typically there will be um, a very dramatic scene and dr by dramatic I mean uh, vulnerable uh, a, t a time of, of, of uh, a character sort of coming to realization about something and, and vocalizing it to, to somebody else and then you clearly see a turning point after that um, but I think this, those are the the parts of the story for me that I think connect me most to the character there's the I mean of course the big um, Barracuda um, terror at the beginning of Finding Nemo but it's it's those quiet moments where you really feel the um, the connection with, uh, or like say, for instance, Lu Lieutenant Dan, when, when he shows up at Forrest's wedding, you just love him at that point. As, like you see the journey he went through and, w and how he's come out after it, and, and you just buy into his character so much, and it's a tiny moment. Um, talk, talk about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that... Um we, as human beings, I, I think we resonate with those moments because we don't have those uh, huge, often we don't have those huge reversal moments, you know, like uh, the shrimping boat experience and raging in this storm with God. But I, I think our defining moments as human beings are often shaped, you know, by those quiet moments. And I think that's why um, those those resonate with us is you know often it is something that uh, awakens privately within us and then we shift directions you know some wisdom that we gain or or some um, something that causes our our heart to leap and a dream is born and we say okay I'm 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 headed that direction and I think why that's why those moments are are important like in Forrest Gump when Lieutenant Dan comes to the wedding is because just we as human beings resonate and we we feel um, those moments and 
you know, as we've we've taught defining moments too, there is a quote, and I am not going to be able to give all of it to you, um, but it's by Frederick Beekner, and he talks about terrible and wonderful things have happened to us all, um, and I think it's sometimes in those quiet smaller moments that we come to those realizations that terrible and wonderful things have happened to us. Yeah. I think that moment for Lieutenant Dan when he shows up at the wedding pays off so well because it has been set up so thoroughly. Yeah. It's been set up with defining moments. We, we know who he is. We know what he's lost. We know what he's longed for. And even when the hurricane has blown over, Forrest tells us, I think he made his peace, but we don't know what does that look like in his life until the end. So there's this long-standing question mm -hmm. in the story that only pays off much later. And it, but it can only pay off because it's been set up. The question has been answered and we care about the answer to the question. When it comes, that's why it feels so great to us. Hmm. I think in, um, in television storytelling, because it's, uh, there's so much of it, um, we're able to delve deeply into character. If we can't have a reversal every episode, then we do have to, we have to go in for the, the close-up emotionally uh, to, so that we pick up those tinier movements the tinier changes or the, um, the feeling of the impact of the defining moment that came earlier. I, I think of moments that have defined me um, and the, uh, a great traumatic kind of experience we had in our lives was our five-year-old son was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And I mostly went into operational mode mm. in the moment. And, uh, and our son went through treatment and he survived and he's alive today as a 33-year-old young man. But he's lost a lot. Uh, he's changed because of the treatments he got. He is in many ways like a real-life Forrest Gump. So my house didn't burn down, but I still have the experience of, on a daily basis, oh, we lost that too. As a storyteller, we can come in on those moments mm -hmm. and let the audience experience that with us. In episodic storytelling, that's a boon. Yeah. Because yeah. we can keep revisiting those, the, whether they're losses, whether they're moments of healing, and they, they just keep rolling out if, and, and this is the real art of, of the writer, the storyteller, is to locate those moments. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think we locate them by looking right. at ourselves first. So I think if we can locate that moment that defines, then we can understand those smaller moments of fallout as a result of that before and that after. Well, and I think about um, often in a, in a writer's room, um, they'll, they'll have one board 
that is mapping out the arc for each character throughout the season. And I, and I think really understanding these these before and after moments would would really help in terms of those arcs. So maybe character A doesn't have um, one every episode. He might have one in episode six, in episode nine, and then in episode 12, where character B might have one in episode two and five. And, and then as they sort of interweave with the, the in-between those moments, I think that can create a lot of very layered storytelling. I, th I think so, and I think that by laying them out so that everyone on the team mm -hmm. knows what they are, this is a great communication tool. I mean, we're in a highly collaborative medium. If mm -hmm. we're working in television, uh, we're collaborating with multiple writers. If we're working uh, in film, we're collaborating with actors and directors and editors, producers. So if we can get these things out and say, as I see it, these are the defining moments for this character that have come before now. These are the defining moments to come. It gives us a common understanding rather than being stuck with these you know, reams of paper saying, you know, I think he's got 35 cents in his pocket. And it's like, no, he would only carry an ATM card. That's not what's going to matter. What's going to matter is, did a barracuda eat his wife and children? <laughs> that we need to know and agree on. I think that is the genius, you know, of a writer's room and of, and of teamwork, because if we have examined our own defining moments, we're, you know, each member of the team is going to have a different set of those and bring who they are subjectively, you know, to the season. Um, and so you do have in a sense, a team of defining moments, helping to craft and shape the defining moments of your characters. Very cool. Well, I think that's a, a great place to end up. Um, I, I do um, I do want to mention, of course, we've only scratched the surface of what's in the book. I know that you have a lot of great tools in the book in terms of different types of moments and, and things almost like checklists of, of what different types of moments could happen to your characters. Um, you also have uh, a lot of practicals in terms of the more traditional ways of looking at character as well. Um, so definitely, definitely, definitely released today. I highly recommend everybody to buy this book. Um, this one you will refer to often. And of course, um, you would do very well to have the Hollywood Standard if you, if you don't have it already. Uh, links will be in the show notes of the podcast. Um, one of the things I, I very, very much appreciate is that you have contact info in the back of each book. I'm not going to give it in the podcast because I want people to buy the books, <laughs> but um, I appreciate that you're, you're willing to answer questions to, to people who, who read the books as well. Um, do you have social media links that people can follow you on? I am H. Wood Standard uh, on, on Twitter. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's probably... if. If not at the email address in the back of the book, uh, that's probably the best way to reach out to me. Mm -hmm. And Kathy? Yeah, and um, Instagram, I am Kathy We Can. Kathy We Can. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for um, this tremendous resource, these tremendous resources. Um, I really, honestly, I, I don't say that lightly. Um, just in the same way as Save the Cat really opened my eyes in terms of understanding structure. This, I think, it, I haven't seen anything like it in terms of understanding character. So, so really great job. 
thank you so much for this resource and uh, thank you for taking the time today. Uh, thanks thank for a you. really, really enjoyable conversation. Yeah, thank you. Please follow me on Twitter for the latest updates. At Gray Jones is my handle. Make sure to bookmark tvwriterpodcast.com and scriptmag.com. You can find the video version of this podcast at iTunes, Podbean, and on YouTube. Make sure you do subscribe to all these places. Audio only, you can find us at iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or Pandora. And on Instagram, you can follow at TV Writer Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye.